Today on The Journey with Pastor Steve DeWitt. Judas is in hell today. And what is he thinking there? How does he reflect upon the incredible honor to be amongst the 12 disciples of Jesus, to go over in his mind over and over again how and why he did what he did. He is still there in hell, enduring punishment. We know a fair amount about Jesus' disciples, their lives, and the legacies they left through God's Word. But when it comes to Judas, we often have more questions than answers. Welcome to The Journey with Steve DeWitt, Senior Pastor at Bethel Church in Northwest Indiana. I'm your host, Tim Svoboda. And today, Pastor Steve takes a deep dive into the tragic life of Judas Iscariot, unraveling the circumstances that led to his fateful decision to betray Jesus. Remember, you can always listen online at thejourney.fm. Now here's Pastor Steve. Today we again climb those steps into the upper room, the most important room in all of human history. And today we are observing the most notorious traitor of all time. And uh, his name is Judas Iscariot. And I'm today going to tell the larger story of Judas's life. We're going to uh, certainly be in John 13 somewhat, but this is more of a biopic. This is more of the big picture of, of what happened to Judas. And Judas's life provides a very strong warning for how easy it is to be near to Jesus and not love Jesus. And I wonder if it's possible that that might be you here today. So the the warning here is real because uh, Judas is one person that we know is in hell. We know it. And we know it because Jesus said that's where he was going. Names him a son of perdition. And if Jesus says you're going to hell, you're going to hell. And Judas is there today. So today, Judas Iscariot. Let's start off by talking about who was Judas Iscariot. And now his name is so notorious that we we don't realize that Judas was a common name in in Israel in the first century, a very common cultural name. And there were many Judases even in Jesus' life. Jesus had a brother named Judas. There is another disciple of the 12 disciples also named Judas, And then there was Judas Iscariot. Now, why is he called Judas Iscariot? And we're actually not exactly sure. It is uh, possible that he was from the southern town. There was a southern town of Kerioth, which sounds in the language a little bit like Iscariot. And uh, so he might have been from the south, but nobody knows. Uh, Here's what we do know is very few parents today are choosing to name their son Judas. In fact, I don't know that I've ever in my whole life met somebody named Judas. And that is because of the notorious character of this guy. Every list of disciples, and there are many of them, the 12 disciples, every list lists Judas last. The one list in which he is of disciples that he's not 
listed last. He is not mentioned at all, Acts 1. And when Judas is named, typically they will also include the fact that he is the one that uh, was traitorous towards Jesus. So for example, Matthew 10. This is in the story, at least, before uh, Judas betrayed Jesus. Matthew writes, Simon the Canaanian and Judas Iscariot, commentary, who betrayed him. Mark 3, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Luke 6, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So whatever good may have happened in Judas's life, whatever good he may have done in his life, and we know that there are, there are many good things that he did in his life, I'll get into that in a moment, all of those are eclipsed by the singular terrible thing that he did, and the writers of the New Testament, they can't think about Judas Iscariot without also thinking about him betraying Jesus, and they include that in their note. Now, when you think about Judas Iscariot, we can easily miss the fact that Judas had incredible spiritual privileges. The point that I'm getting to here today is that in spite of Judas's privileged position, things he saw, closeness to Jesus, he's in hell. And how easy it is for people to be around the church, be around the gospel, be around spiritual things, to sort of go with the flow and be in the mix of things and end up in hell. And I don't want that for you, I don't want that for me, and you don't want that for you. So let's learn from Judas Iscariot. Privileges, oh, you're talking about privileged. Think of the things that were true in Judas's life. He had a front row seat for the miracles of Jesus. There he is, actually, for example, in the boat when Jesus walks on water on the Sea of Galilee, calms the sea. He gathered, uh, after Jesus fed the 15,000-ish, we're not sure exactly, but feeding of the 5,000 men, maybe 12 to 15,000 people from the loaves and the fishes, he was one of the disciples who gathered the basket after that. He saw the miracle. He saw the before and after of many of Jesus' physical miracles that he performed. The deaf who couldn't hear, and now they can hear. The blind who couldn't see, and now they can see. Uh, the lame who couldn't walk, now they can walk. Get this, he was there when Lazarus walked out of the tomb. He had a front row for Jesus' teaching. And one of the things that you may miss about Jesus that, that the crowds marveled at was that he had a power in his teaching. There was something about Jesus, the words that came from him, there was a punch to them. There was a power to them. And it says that the crowds were amazed at the power of the teaching of Jesus. He's hearing all of these famous messages, the Sermon on the Mount and all the rest. He's hearing Jesus teaching them. He experienced that power. And on top of that, and in, in some ways most personally privileged, was the fact that as Jesus walked and lived, Judas Iscariot walked and lived with him. He was discipled by Jesus. We know that he was given authority. This is somewhat confusing in our theology, but he was given authority along with the other disciples to teach, to cast out demons. 
Remember, the disciples come back and they, they say to Jesus, We're, demons are cast out in, uh, by, by the power that you gave us. And Jesus says, don't be excited about demons being cast out. Rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. There's Judas casting demons out. There's Judas doing teaching when the two by two as the disciples go out. He was so consistent with the other disciples that when Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me, it's not like the other 11 and go, Judas, we know it's you. For three years, we've seen, we, you, you, it's so you. No, what do they do? They all look at each other and they're like, who could he be talking about? Judas was as much a disciple with the rest of them uh, such that he, he blended in. There was nothing about him. In fact, you could make the argument he was one of the most respected disciples. How do we know that? When they said, okay, who are we gonna trust to be in charge of the money bag around here? You know who they picked? They didn't pick Andrew. They didn't pick Peter. They picked Judas Iscariot. He was the treasurer of the group. And we know from the story that he, was, uh, he would often pilfer out of the money bag when no one was looking. And then finally... Day in and day out, for three years, Judas lived with the incarnate Son of God. They saw each other hungry and sick and tired. The ordinary stuff of human life, Judas was there with Jesus. And Judas had this up and close and personal perspective with Jesus, a nearly unimaginable privilege what was it like to live with a perfect human being? But think of this, every glimpse that, that, that Judas had, and, he, and Jesus was the center of attention, he was the star of the show, and there's Judas in the background, you know, almost like a handler or whatever, there he is, and every time he saw Jesus dealing with any situation, no matter how tired he was, uh, no matter how hard uh, the, the travel had been, Jesus responded in perfect righteousness every single time, which only multiplies Judas's guilt. He knew Jesus as very few people did. We could call him an intimate friend of Jesus. Which brings us now, with that background, to John chapter 13 and the upper room, Judas plays a very significant role in the story of the upper room. There is a little backstory, though, to the upper room, and that is the fact that the Pharisees, uh, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, these were the religious leaders of the day, had been plotting behind the scenes. They wanted to kill Jesus. They were having all of these meetings. How do we get rid of this guy? How do we, how do we even arrest him? I mean, just arresting Jesus, the most popular man of the day, they wouldn't dare do that. And somebody said, we need somebody on the inside to give us some intel about when Jesus, probably at night, is going to be somewhere away from the crowd, because if we could ever know where he was going to be away from the crowd at night, I think we could arrest him without a mob. But who on the inside is going to betray Jesus of Nazareth? And the backstory here is that on his own, out of the blue, Judas Iscariot, 
secretly goes to the Sanhedrin and says to them, how much will you give me financially if I, if I betray him to you? And they offer to Judas 30 pieces of silver, which was the price of a slave. It was, in our day, maybe $3,000, roughly. $3,000 for the Son of God. Here's the story, Luke 22, I should have read this. Then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was of the number of the 12. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad, no doubt, and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. And so that is the backstory to the upper room. One of the 13 people there, scheming, looking for some occasion to betray Jesus. And we pick up the story now in verse 21, chapter 13. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, this is John, was reclining at table close to Jesus. So Simon Peter motioned him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, John, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. Here we have this incredibly powerful and poignant moment in the story, the ultimate betrayal in all of human history. Verse 21 says that Jesus was uh, troubled in spirit, one, one uh, translation says that he was in anguish of spirit. And what was he in anguish about? One of you will betray me. I wonder today if maybe you can relate to the pain of betrayal. There's something about, you know, if your enemy does you bad, you sort of expect it. But when somebody in your inner circle, an intimate friend, somebody that you have trusted when that person betrays us, there is a very visceral anguish that we feel. Can you relate to that? I'm gonna guess here in the room we have many people who can relate to that. Now, a few verses earlier, Jesus began to talk of this betrayal, and he does so by quoting probably the second most famous betrayal in human history, which would be Absalom and David. He quotes Psalm 41, even my close friend in whom I trusted who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. And in this, friends, it's easy for us to forget the fact that Jesus was human and all of the same feelings and emotions that we experience when things happen to us, he also experienced them. And he is in anguish. He is, he's hurt that a friend, Judas, would do this to him. He's filled with anguish. So what happens here is that Jesus, uh, and this is 
I get confused by this. You would think that Jesus said, it's the person that I'm gonna give this bread to, and he gives the bread to Judas, that all of them would be like, aha! But somehow, because of Judas' position as the treasurer, they get confused about what Jesus is saying. It's only later that they realize that's what was going on, and that's who was going to betray Jesus. But he hands them the, the bread after dipping it, and Judas gets up. He very quickly leaves the upper room, and he goes to the authorities and he says, now is the time he's going to Gethsemane. Now perhaps Jesus had mentioned that somehow in the course of conversation that hey, after dinner tonight, we're gonna go to Gethsemane, which they often did go to Gethsemane. But somehow Judas knew that that's what they're going to do. And so he goes and he gives them the intel that they needed to go to the grove of trees, olive trees called Gethsemane, and so the Pharisees send out word, a Roman cohort is gathered. They go in in mass, huge force, following Judas's lead. So here we have now two scenes. Judas going, he's going to Gethsemane, get everybody together. The camera pans back to the upper room. And here you have Jesus knowing full well what Judas is doing, knowing exactly what's about to happen. But there he is. And what is he doing? He is teaching his disciples. He institutes the Lord's Supper. He prays, John 17, his famous high priestly prayer. In the upper room, you do not find an anxious Jesus. He is there fulfilling God's will, knowing what's going on, even as he speaks. So they do. Uh, Mark tells us that they finish their time in the upper room, they sing a hymn, and they go to Gethsemane, which would have meant crossing the famous Kidron Valley, and uh, the Mount of Olives, at the base of the Mount of Olives, the famous Mount of Olives, there is, there is Gethsemane. And after arriving, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, his, his inner circle, and they kind of separate and they go, and Jesus begins to pray. And he is praying fervently there. And shortly after that, he goes back to Peter, James, and John, and maybe the rest of the disciples, and he says, my betrayer is at hand. Here comes Judas Iscariot with the Roman soldiers. And the text says this in Luke 22, while he was still speaking, there came a crowd and the man called Judas, one of the 12, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the son of man with a kiss? And again, the treachery here is just, it's just layer upon layer, isn't it? So it's dimly lit. Uh, the Roman soldiers, it's not like there's you know, TV and, and uh, newspapers and all that. Maybe they caught a, a glimpse of Jesus at some point, but they don't know who, what he looks like versus the other 12 disciples. And so Judas says, I will show you which one is him. I'm gonna go up and I'll give him a kiss, which was the sort of greeting in the Middle East. And so that's what he does. Judas goes up to Jesus and gives him a kiss. And this was the signal from, for the Roman soldiers to know which one was Jesus. And they arrest him. There's a tumult that happens there. I'm not gonna get into that. But they arrest Jesus. And here is the rest of the story for Judas Iscariot. This is, uh, you know, maybe, this is middle of the night. We, we'd call it middle of the night. This is very, very early in the morning when Jesus is arrested, the wee hours of the morning. Sometime after Jesus' arrest, Judas Iscariot has remorse for what he has done. 
and he realizes his great error. And Matthew 27 says this, then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, this is how when people use you, they don't care when it's done. They go, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. Now that's where Matthew ends the story of Judas. But Acts 1 picks up the story of Judas's death and we put these two together and the best that we can tell, this is what happened. That Judas went out to a field and with a rope, apparently a field that had a, a kind of high place on it with a tree and he hung himself on the tree only Sometime maybe before he died, we're not sure, the rope broke and Judas fell down onto rocks and Acts 1, this is in the Bible, Acts 1 says that his intestines spilled out everywhere. You know, even his death, you think about the contrast between Judas and Jesus, this is, this is intriguing. Judas is dead before Jesus is dead. Judas hangs from a tree. Jesus hangs from a tree. Judas dies in shame for his sin. Jesus dies for our sin. Judas goes to hell. Jesus takes us to heaven. Judas is history's most notorious traitor, and Jesus is history's greatest hero. And to realize that the story of Judas is still ongoing, because today, if we can think of hell in a temporal way. Judas is in hell still today. What is he thinking about there? What is he pondering? What is he remembering? We know he is in hell. Again, Jesus says in John 17, calls him the son of destruction. He says this in Matthew 26, the son of man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would be better for that man if he had not been born. Those are terrifying words to hear from the great king and judge of all. That's Pastor Steve DeWitt reminding us of the great responsibility and accountability we all hold in our actions. Today's message is titled, Judas Iscariot, A Tragic Life, and it underscores the significance of our choices and the consequences they have, especially when they lead to the betrayal of Christ or his teachings. You can play this message and share it with others when you visit us online at thejourney.fm. On our website, you can also find our message archive, send us an email with your questions or comments, or find practical Bible studies. Again, that's thejourney.fm. Well, I want to take just a moment to thank our listeners and our faithful monthly supporters who give generously to help keep the journey on the air. Because of friends like you, we're able to share God's Word with listeners around the country through the radio and internet, helping people meet God wherever they're at in their own life's journey. And when you give a generous gift today, whether it's a one-time or monthly, you'll help ensure that the clear biblical teaching on the journey continues to reach listeners throughout 2024. So would you give today? Just call 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763. Or make a donation online at thejourney.fm. 
And to express our gratitude for your gift today, we'll say thanks by sending you the book, Decision Making and the Will of God. Does God have a perfect will for each Christian? Can you be absolutely certain of God's specific will for your life? Authors Gary Friesen and J. Robin Maxson say yes and offer a biblical alternative to the traditional view on this topic. Discover how to find God's will for your life when you request your copy today. Call 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763. Or visit thejourney.fm. On our website, you'll also find helpful articles by Pastor Steve on topics like family, finances, and faith. So be sure to take advantage of these practical resources. Again, that's thejourney.fm. Well, I'm your host, Tim Svoboda. Come back tomorrow when Pastor Steve concludes today's message titled, Judas Iscariot, A Tragic Life. That's Tuesday on The Journey. Today's program was produced and furnished by Bethel Church in Crown Point, Indiana.